Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Richard Buzzichelli, our lecturer in theology here at Catholic Studies Academy. And today our topic is going to be looking at this uh, abortion case, but also looking at abortion and uh, some of the elements of uh, fighting worldviews. Uh, that we're experiencing today, uh, and to really maybe take a look at this issue from a theological perspective and not just a, a judicial or legal perspective. Uh, but before we get started, I want to invite all our listeners, please help us out by share the, sharing this content, hit the uh, subscription notifications, uh, hit all those things, uh, and help us out to grow our community online. All right, Dr. Buzakelli, to get us started today, maybe you can kind of just give us a quick uh, uh Quick introduction to to the case. I'm sure everybody, especially our Catholic listeners, are very well aware of what's going on. It's been all over the news and stuff. But just give us maybe a, a quick introduction to to maybe the Dobbs case, and um, uh, and then we'll get into some of the the fun theological aspects of it as well. Sure. Well, so I've been sort of an amateur student of constitutional law since I was uh, since I was in college, and I took a constitutional law class. It was really great. Mm -hmm. And a lot of fun. And I always thought, of course, if I couldn't do this, um, you know, if this the if this theologian thing didn't didn't work out, maybe <laughs> I could become a Supreme Court justice. That would have been great. But of course, you know, if you think the job market is tight in uh, in theology, <laughs> try uh, try constitutional law. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but um, no, I don't have any actual legal qualifications, so I'm just going to speak. You know, I'm just an amateur observer. Sure. Um, now, keep in mind that this podcast is being recorded while we're still looking at a leaked draft, and we don't know we don't know ultimately uh, whether this is going to see the light of day for real, sure. right? We don't know if this is going to be finally the majority opinion, um, or if it is, if it's going to be the same as it is right now, right? We don't know that, but let's just think about what's being said right now in this draft, what everybody, what all the hubbub is about. Mm -hmm. So um, so Dobbs versus Jackson, Jackson Women's uh, Health Organization, right? Mm -hmm. um, so this has to do really with the Mississippi law, I believe, right? Yeah. In which uh, a restriction is placed upon elective abortions right? So non, non-therapeutic abortions. I mean, we, as far as setting up the case, we don't even need to debate, you know, whether um, therapeutic abortions are, are acceptable or not, but let's just, the right. law is talking about non-therapeutic abortions, right? Uh, restricting them after I think the period is like 15, 15 weeks. Yeah. And, um, and that's very interesting, right? Because most people would think, well, I mean, that's not a particularly, um, that's not a particularly draconian restriction on abortion. I mean, it's that's much yeah. more liberal as an abortion law than what you would have found in Mississippi prior to Roe v. Wade, for sure, right? Yeah, yeah, or even some of the other ones that are being passed that are saying, you know, if there's yeah, a heartbeat, much tighter than that, which right? is eight eight weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. So the, uh, you know, that it basically the, this is what's really interesting about this case um, is that the people who 
were arguing in favor of Jackson Women's Health Organization and therefore for abortion, um, were, were arguing that, um, they're arguing that um, the court finds itself in a, the court finds itself in a position where it has to make a choice between Roe v. Wade and Casey, those precedents on the one hand, and this law, that the two aren't compatible at all. One either throws out the law or one, uh, or one um, overturns the precedent. And it's interesting because, I mean, they're, they're, they're throwing the gauntlet down. They're not saying yeah. that, they're not saying, um, they're not arguing for a particular interpretation of Roe and Casey. They're, they're recognizing that the whole thing is at stake in, uh, in this controversy. Yeah. So that's that's kind of where the historical situation is, right? And guess what? Um, the Supreme Court justices took that argument, and they said, yeah. "You're right. It does come down <laughs> to whether these precedents stand or fall, and they fall." And that's yeah. what the that's ultimately what the um, that's ultimately what they say, right? So the the um, the takeaway passage, right? Let me see if I could find it here. Um, oh, yeah. So we hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. Um, okay, let me back up a little bit. It says, so um, it says, um, before us now is one such law, okay, the, a sort of law to regulate, um, to regulate, to regulate abortion pre-viability. Yeah. The state of Mississippi asks us to uphold the constitutionality of a law that generally prohibits an abortion after the 15th week of pregnancy, several weeks before the point at which a fetus is now regarded as viable outside the womb. In defending this law, the state's primary argument is that we should reconsider and overrule Roe and Casey and once again allow each state to regulate abortion as its citizens wish. On the other side, respondents and the solicitor general ask us to reaffirm Roe and Casey, and they contend that the Mississippi law cannot stand if we do. Allowing Mississippi to prohibit abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy, they argue, quote, would be no different than overruling Casey and Roe entirely, unquote. Uh, they, they contend that, quote, no half measures, unquote, are available, and that we must either reaffirm or overrule Roe and Casey. Wow. Yeah, the we language hold, is very strong. Yeah. Yeah, we hold that. So that's their argument, right? We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion, and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, including the one on which the defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly rely the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. That provision has been held to guarantee some rights that are not mentioned in the Constitution, but any such right must be, quote, deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition mm. and implicitly in the concept of ordered liberty. And that's from Washington yeah. versus Glucksburg, which was uh, decided in 1997. All right, so that's that's kind of the the salient passage, right? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. What do you what, what do yeah. you think about that? Well, I was gonna say that the the one thing that I find um, interesting about this, um, like if if you were to not know anything or read the case or know anything about the case and kind of or even Roe v. Wade, um, just listening to to the commentary, you would say if the Supreme Court overrules Roe v. Wade and Casey, abortion is now illegal. Um, and uh, states get to do whatever they want, kind of a deal. Like, or, or, or and, and then this is going to lead to all the other ridiculous things they've said. Like Joe Biden said, you know, segregating LGBTQ kids, which I don't understand how that's connected to abortion. Yeah, um, well, we could actually. But- <laughs> that, that's interesting. With that, that I think there's a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> yeah. Um, for this decision, but, but I do kind of understand the logic behind it. We'll talk, we could talk about that a little bit, but. Okay. But I, but I think, but I think that's the, that's the interesting thing. So the, uh-huh. the, you know, the, if this, if, if the Supreme court justices rule this way and mm-hmm. Roe and Casey are overturned, it simply returns the, uh, the authority to regulate abortion back to the States saying that it's not right. a federally uh, protected uh, constitutional right. Right. So, you know, I, I think, you know, I think that's the first thing is like, it's not, it's not saying that abortion is illegal. It's just saying abortion is not a federally constituted constitutional or federally constitutional right. So, you know, the, the, the reaction to it seems a bit much on, yeah. on my part, Well, uh, okay, from but, my perspective, you know, but it's not that hard to understand, right? Because in yeah. the, in this draft, Right. The the justices do point out that at the time of um, at the time of Roe, like 30 states had complete bans on abortion. Yeah. And that even now, after Roe v. Wade, because Roe v. Wade and Casey did not end uh, the debate about abortion. um, I. A significant number of states have fairly stringent restrictions, right? And we sure. we actually know that um, we know that what is it? I think it's twenty three states, if I'm not mistaken, have trigger laws, right? Yeah, those are interesting. That, uh, yeah. By which, you know, if you don't know what a trigger law is, I think I'm using the term correctly. I think I'm. I think this is. I'm right about this. That basically, they've passed laws. I know Tennessee is one of them. Texas is one of them. Um, they've passed laws where uh, in the event that Roe v. Wade is mm-hmm. overruled, then abortion would be banned in the state, period. Yeah. Right. So. Um, yeah, yeah. Or, or, they, or they limit them. Yeah. Or they limit them severely if Roe v. Wade is overturned. There's, yeah, whatever law they put into place automatically right. goes into effect and stuff. Which yeah, is, so for, you know, for many of them, it's yeah. a heartbeat bill, right? Yeah. And now the heartbeat thing is is um, not it's um, it's not exactly the same as sort of quickening, right? Um, mm-hmm. This the quickening was an old standard, and they addressed that in this um, in this opinion. Um, but it was a standard that actually, in not even very recent history, was um, was already was already transcended because it was just considered no longer scientifically 
uh, sound, right? Right. But but basically, the quickening idea, it, quickening means that um, you know the the baby is the the baby in the womb exhibits signs of life, right? And keep in mind that before you could um, look inside of people with um, sonograms or um, you know, safely perform medical procedures and open mm-hmm. people up and close mm-hmm. them up again. There wasn't much you could really say about uh, a baby in the womb. Sure. Um, in terms of demonstrating that in fact, the baby is alive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't feel the baby moving, how do you really know that the baby is alive? You might know something's going on with you. Sure. But do you know, are you sure it's a are you sure you're pregnant? Are you sure yeah. that that you didn't get pregnant and lost the baby and you just have yet to um, formally miscarry, right? Yeah. Um, we don't really know that stuff. So basically under the law, quickening was seen as, um, as the point at which legal action became um, uh, sort of justifiable right in other words Mm -hmm. in in many instances not even all it was just used as this line of demarcation you can't punish somebody for killing someone you didn't know was alive right or you you know what i mean if you didn't if you can't demonstrate the person was alive before the action was taken you can't successfully charge a person with having killed him you see what i mean right Uh, in order for me to have killed you you yeah no that makes sense and if we don't know that then we can't say that I'm the guy who caused your death, right? You see what I mean? And that was basically the function of the quickening standard in the past. But quickening is is a somewhat later than the heartbeat, right? But the problem is the heartbeat is fine uh, because you could we now have we could see it uh, on a sonogram, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's and that's the thing is like the if. You know, and again, if we're going to base, if we're going to make um, political decisions based on scientific, based on um, science, right? Uh-huh. If that's a thing like that, you know, I'm just going to use it that way, even though whatever. Um, based on science, right? Like science has advanced quite a bit since 1973, um, <laughs> you know? And yep. so it makes sense, you know, if you have legislation and policies based on, um, um, based on, biology or based on science right it makes sense that at some point they do need to be updated um and or, yeah. or at least so, re-examined and stuff so the you know because there we we can know a lot more than you know the uh, the differentiation of the sexes right we can we yeah. can know things like that very very early on um some people might disagree so it all, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so it's you know so there's um so, so there's this, so we're, we're, we're looking at it again. And, you know, the, the, the other thing I find interesting about this, and maybe now we can get into kind of the, the culture war side of it is, yeah, you know, the, the, the reaction to this is just, I mean, just, I, I mean, I don't want to just flat out say diabolical, but I mean, the reaction to this is just, it, it's visceral. It's, um, it would the only thing I can think of, and, and maybe this isn't appropriate. I think Father John Harden would would agree with this point. I mean, it would be like if somebody's attacking the Eucharist for us, we would get very defensive and we would defend it with our life. 
right? Um, that's almost like what it seems like the reaction is when we're saying, uh, no, you can't kill a baby. Um, the reaction is, you know, uh, uh, as if they were attacking the Eucharist or, or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, it, it, so, you know, that because of that reaction, I think for the Catholic, we have to say, okay, this, this, yes, this is about abortion. Yes, this is about states' rights, but there's something deeper here. There, there, yeah. there's, there's, there's something uh, invisible. There's something that that we can't particularly uh, see um, that that would that would uh, help the, that would that would lead those people to have such a, a visceral reaction mm-hmm. uh, to something that we would simply say, well, it's about states' rights, and it's yeah, like, well, yeah. no, right. you're you're attacking you're attacking the 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 sacrament of the godless uh, right. in a way. Um, well, that, that analogy, you're not making that analogy up. That analogy has been used by the pro-abortion people. Yeah. Right. I mean, they've actually, you, you've heard their famous quotes, right? If, if uh, what is it? If women could be priests, abortion would be a sacrament. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I even, when you, even, that, but... even when you look at the language, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my body, right? Uh, you know, very similar to the words of institution. Um, oh yeah, I actually wrote one know, time. I wrote a poem on like this, uh, <laughs> in which I I I don't I don't I, I'd have to find it now. I don't know where it is, but I I tried to contrast um, the argument for abortion with the consecration with the uh, the words of institution. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 very it, it's very similar, and it you know you know so so for the for the Catholic we have to look we have to look deeper and say okay well. What is what is behind this that this that this reaction is now being expressed to us? What is what is there? And you know, um, you know, I think the best way to put it is that we are dealing, we're essentially dealing with two different cultures, and not just the mm-hmm. culture of life and the culture of death, um, but but even I, I think even more because um, that's you know that's kind of I think sometimes that just simply gets placed into moral terms where we're just simply talking about ethics. Um, but I think the worldview that is that that we're encountering here as Catholics is uh, encompasses much more than simply ethics. Yeah, I and, agree with you. Uh, I still use the phrase culture of life and culture of death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To describe that because, because for me, and I, I've talked about this in many places, right? In, mm-hmm. in, um, in papers I've written in um, in my book uh, on the creation narrative, I talk about this at some length. That that really what the culture of life versus the culture of death is really about is whether you think that the world is um, that the world is founded on an unbounded. Uh, an unbounded author of life who loves the world into existence on the one hand. Right. And and therefore you live in a world in which life is more powerful than death, in which love is more powerful than, uh, you know, than, than any other force. Love is unlimited, Mm -hmm. right? Love is unlimited. Uh, Love is omnipotent. If God is love, right. I mean, love is omnipotent. Mm -hmm. And, um, you live in that world in which there can always be more because, because creative love lies at the heart of, of the world in which we live. Or on the other hand, you deny that. You deny that that's where the world comes from. 
Mm-hmm. And ultimately, there's only so much of anything to go around. There's only so much life, only so much love, only so much you mm-hmm. um, to go around, right? You run out of everything. Yeah. And and so, you know, there's always this sort of, it's always um, a competition against against my interests versus someone else's. That's always what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, if I it's either me or the baby, right? That these are irreconcilable values. Yeah, that's good. And I think, again, for, for our listeners, you know, we're familiar with those terms, culture, life, culture, death. It's more than just a pro-life issue. It's, a, it's an entire, like you said there, it's founded on that, uh, um, uh, that there is a God, right? Yeah. And this is why this is actually, when you think about it, this is the logic behind understanding, you know, why the Catholic church still holds procuring an abortion, uh, procuring a direct abortion, right. Or or performing one, Mm -hmm. um, as, um, an excommunicable offense, latte sentenciae, right. The very act of performing, the very yeah. act of attempting to commit this thing mm-hmm. is itself a um, a sign of your excommunication. You would never do this if you were Catholic, right? That's just not the Catholic frame of mind. That's not yeah. the way Christians think. It's yeah. incompatible with the faith, right? There just is no room in Catholicism for um, for for thinking that abortion is acceptable. Right, right. I think you know. I think one of the other are one of the elements of this this different worldview we're, we're we're encountering, and it's really starting to show its true face and everything. Is kind of how you know how does this worldview um, see history? How does this worldview kind of view the narrative with which we are living in now? Um, because the Christian, obviously, right? It's salvation history. Yeah. Uh, it's the it's while we're a part of it, it's the story of God's love for the human race. It's the story of God's love made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ, right? Uh, you know, how, how would you characterize this, The maybe the, the narrative or the story of history for uh, uh, this, this culture of death? Well, so I think that most of them... Um, that's a good question. I don't know if there's a coherent view. I could name yeah. a couple of competing views that may be at work. One, mm-hmm. of course, is the Marxist, essentially Marxist view, right? Right. That um, that history progresses through a kind of dialectic, right, of um, of power, mm-hmm. and that power dialectic works itself out through a series of resolutions. Right as as one as a power is um, challenged by its antithesis, which rises up against it and limits it, mm-hmm. a new synthesis emerges. Right, a new a new state of affairs arises, which itself mm-hmm. becomes its own kind of um, it, its own new power system. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Until eventually, all of this has to yeah. break down. Right. It all yeah. evens out uh, and and reaches us what might be described as a steady state yeah. of um, a classless society, right? Absolute uh, equal distribution of power mm-hmm. and therefore no more, um, 
no more struggles between people. And um, I mean, obviously that's purely theoretical, right? But, um, <laughs> but, but I think that's the view, right? And so, you know, when you think about, when you think about um, the many of the forces on the left, mm-hmm. they're, they're obviously working in that direction, right? Yeah. Uh, look at, um, for example, gender <laughs> theory, which is bound up with this whole question of abortion in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so you want to equalize what's perceived as a power imbalance between the sexes on account of on account of biological sex or something like mm-hmm. that. Right. And so, of course, to do this, um, it's believed that contraception and abortion are necessary. Why? Well, because um, you want to you want to even out the seeming advantage that men possess in, mm-hmm. in it's believed, um, being able to engage in acts of sexual gratification without fearing consequences, right? right? So um, you introduce contraception, uh, preferably hormonal contraception, right? Something that the woman has control over. And, um, and that allows, that allows both men and women to engage in sexual activity with abandon. And that the sexual revolution is really all behind that, right? Yeah. Um, and, and relationships of dependency no longer arise um, mm-hmm. if there's no pregnancy as a result, right? If there are no children as a result of the sexual act. Whereas if pregnancy and childbirth arise as a result of the sexual act, then like it or not, right? Women find themselves in some sort of relationship of dependency upon the men in their lives, at least in a state of nature, right? Barring other kinds Mm -hmm. of technologies that allow women to um, reclaim some of their independence, even if they are pregnant and have children, it would be, it's clearly the case, right? That a pregnant woman over time becomes less and less mobile and more and more vulnerable. And particularly when the child is born, more and more of her time and energy are claimed by caring for that child in ways that uh, are not directly paralleled in, um, you know, for the men, right? I mean, it's not that men don't incur any sort of, you know this as well as I do. It's not that men don't incur any um, loss of uh, self-determination or governance of our time or sleep. But, um, but obviously it's not the same for men as it is for women. Right. And you would be foolish to think it is. So, so if we want, if that's a power dynamic, if we look at it through that lens, then, um, then obviously we're going to want to control that problem. We're going to see it as a problem. And the solution to it is contraception and ultimately abortion. Yeah. One thing I do want to point out to our listeners, especially is, the, uh, the that phrase you use about power dynamics and things like that. This gets that look, I'll just say, look for that structure. Uh, you can find that structure anywhere. It's a very just it's a it's a it's a popular tactic from um, uh, just from Marx and, and others mm-hmm. where, you know, I remember even asking an English professor once about what is language. Mm-hmm. And they defined language in the terms of in terms of power. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So, so, so yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. So, so when we're when when you know when when we're encountering this culture, understand that this is where they're coming from. That almost mm-hmm. everything, everything is again this, and this is the problem. You know, are there elements of power within language? Yeah, that's very true. But would you reduce language? Would you first um, define language or anything else like that? Or even like when you're talking about a baby there or, mm-hmm. or something like that. Would you would you would you boil it down to or begin with de- defining it in terms of power? Well, like to the to the Christian, that seems, that seems so important. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't, and I yeah. wouldn't. But but if you're within the culture of death, you would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the mentality. Yeah, it, it, yeah. There's Reckon, only so much to go around. Yeah. It's either you yeah. or me. Yeah. Right. That's yeah, yeah. the mentality. And, and I, I really think um, one of the important things about the controversy we're in right now, this, this event that we're witnessing mm-hmm. right now is, I think, a kind of crystallization point for exposing this yeah. cultural rift. And, and, and I, I think it is the difference between the culture of life and the culture of death. If your paradigm, mm-hmm. if the paradigm through which you see everything, 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 is a power dynamic mm-hmm. then you're on the culture of death side of this yeah. I, that that's how i know right is that that's your that's the lens through which you see everything yeah um and um so you know i was i was going to say that the um you know the rest of gender theory is actually bound up with this whole idea right yeah, yeah. Ultimately, you have to deconstruct the importance of sexual differentiation as such. Mm-hmm. You have to deconstruct gender. That gender is itself seen as a power, a power variation, right? Yeah. It's a power discrepancy. And so you just have to take it away. You wonder, you know, how could it be that um, how could it be that we moved from a sort of feminism that championed equal access of women to the goods of society. And, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. like most reasonably conservative men would probably say, yeah, I mean, like, I guess now that you point it out, right. Why can't women play sports? Like, why is it all the sports were dominated by men, by the, mm-hmm. the male players? Um, women can't play tackle football with, men they'll they'll get crushed they'll they'll never right. they won't even qualify for the team much less be able to compete <laughs> on the field without serious injury to themselves so why um don't we allow why don't we just you know have sports for women what's mm-hmm. wrong with that and and um and so we we championed that right as a society and we move from that to the point where now we have biological men competing as women in sports because we've deconstructed gender we've deconstructed gender right so how do we move from that value uh from one from this from the first value to the second how do we how do we Mm -hmm. do that as a culture Mm -hmm. and i think what it really shows you right is that behind much of feminism from the late 20th century i mean feminism has many stages right but but behind much of feminism from the from the late 20th century to now 
is something that no longer really can be recognizable as feminism according to any classical understanding. If oh, by yeah. feminism according to some classical understanding, you would mean that it has something to do with recognizing the distinction between men and women. Well, that's no <laughs> longer what we do, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the fourth wave of feminism, which we're in now, is essentially transhumanism. It's, yeah, and that, well, that's why you see like the the when they're when they're attacking J.K. Rowling, yeah, or um, just who's, saying who's that there an really old are school between men and women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's just an old school feminist, and she's getting canceled by all the the trans feminists or whatever because she said like, wait a second, wh why are we giving the Woman of the Year award to uh, a dude who's literally only lived his life uh, as a quote unquote, as a woman for a year. Like, no, 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 no. Like you're telling me, you know, out of all of the women across this planet, that this, that this former dude is our woman of the year. Like, and so the old school feminists are just losing it because they see the inconsistencies from, you know, like, wait a second, how did we get from where we started to where we are now? Um, you know, so I, I, yeah, I find that that interesting where it's it's starting to turn in on itself uh, to some degree and uh, uh, and fight back against that. Um, but yeah, the kind of the trans, uh, uh, the, the, the deconstruction, you know, of the human, yeah. yeah, transhumanism, that the the deconstructing of the whole human person, just the, you know, and, and that's why, you know, when you look at like, um, you know, I think maybe you could see, or I could see better now when you say like the, these are all connected. It all mm -hmm. belongs within the realm of uh, destroying the human person, whether it be through abortion or through uh, uh, gender ideology or something like that. They, they all have the same kind of goal as to break down the human person into uh, some sort of kind of alien autonomy or something yeah. like that. You know, but you mentioned earlier, right, that, um, you know, you you would stop short of calling it diabolical and and. The difference between me, you, between you and me on, on this, eh. I wouldn't, right? So, <laughs> so, I mean, I think you probably would too, if you. But, um, yeah, I well, I just don't want to. I just don't want to say that. I think I don't want to. I don't want to go. I don't want people to come away with that that comment to saying like everybody that has an abortion is, uh, um, is possessed by the devil or is 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 a demon or something like that. Like, I understand that there are women who are put into very tough situations and because we have created such structures of sin and we've made it very easy to get an abortion that this becomes predatory and ex and uh, uh yes uh, right. ex I get and it exploits yeah. women who are in very tough situations right so i don't want to i don't want to characterize all of them as diabolical but i will say the culture as a whole and the people who really are fighting for this uh, yeah. as as a sacrament of the, uh, it, that is diabolical I'll, I'll go that far yeah so um you know you could sort of um you know you could make a parallel maybe between um between maybe some of the christians in the early church who mm -hmm. submitted to persecution and handed over the goods of the of religion sure. to their persecutors right and um and then were later reconciled with the church because in fact, they, you know, they were weak in that moment and, and they mm -hmm. repented afterwards. Um, you could, you could make a parallel there, right? That versus mm -hmm. the person who 
advocates for abortion and promotes it and seeks to enshrine it in law and policy. Yeah. Um, even that's to the diabolical. point where we're, yeah, even to the point where we're talking about where there's arguments being made for abortion after birth. Well, like, right. So I was going to say, just call, it, again, I'm, again, go back to words as power structures, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, they, they, they won't use the term that's that that we commonly call, you know, uh, that which is simply murder. Yeah, <laughs> like abortion after birth. Like, but this is, is how it's you murder. know. This is how you know that it is diabolical, right? You know, it's diabolical, yeah. and it's not. Um, it's not about like. It's not about the things that they say it's about, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's not about privacy. It's not about equal protection under the law, because because there's no long. It seems to me there's really no longer any interest that you could advocate for once the child has been separated from the mother physically. Yeah, if the child is separated from the mother physically, it could be taken into the custody of the state. It become a mm-hmm. ward of the state and um, be adopted by someone. It does not need to be exposed to the elements in a rock quarry or a cold steel table <laughs> in a hospital. Right. right? The, the two acts are essentially the same, right? As what we saw in the ancient pagan world when Christians would go and gather up uh, abandoned babies mm-hmm. in the rock quarries, right? Versus, um, you know, the occasional nurse or hospital orderly who might find a baby left to expire uh, in a in a storeroom someplace, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not making these stories up. I might have details wrong, but we've all read news stories about this kind of thing. Yeah, sure. So sure. Um, it's the same thing, and uh, you, you don't you no longer have an argument to make about your own personal autonomy when uh, when that's yeah. the issue. But again, I'm not making this up. This is recent current events, right? This is recent events yeah. in, in our uh, political landscape. People running for governor in states like Virginia, right? Being asked about this question of leaving a child to die after an attempted abortion where the baby was nonetheless born alive. And he's like, well, that, that's a very personal conversation we'll have to have with uh, the doctor and the mother yeah uh look what <laughs> dude you're that's culture yeah. death yeah yeah that's culture yeah death. and, and the, the, you know so I, I the, the the catholic has to recognize the uh the inconsistencies in this logically speaking you know finding where you know no, 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 and and don't fall for the uh uh the word games or the the, the power structure arguments and things like, like that just like call it call it what it is you know well it's, it's um, evil it's diabolical yeah, it's evil. and and here's the thing right um i think one of the things that catholics need to become comfortable with at this point catholics mm-hmm. um people on the the pro-life side of this um is that we 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 have the moral high ground on this matter and um, and I, I think that, you know, you look at companies coming forward and saying like, well, we'll pay for the travel expenses oh, yeah. of women who want to go get abortions. Or you have celebrities coming out and talking about how um, they're 
it's horrible that this this thing is happening and that they were they had an abortion it was it was they're so glad they did and we're supposed to accept this kind of thing mm-hmm. uh as if um as if that's morally you have the moral high ground they're speaking with the with the moral authority and yeah. we should all feel ashamed for our lack of compassion but when i hear statements like that i th- uh, to me they sound like they sound like somebody um you know somebody offering to pay for some sort of uh pro racial segregation um or pro slavery kind of i know it's not a complete a perfect analogy but but yeah. did you have the moral high ground right when you were pushing for when you were pushing for uh for racial discrimination um, yeah. No, you didn't. And now, if you were to come out and tell everyone what a racist you used to be, right, uh, and how you you and you're unrepentant and you wish everybody could be a racist, you know, you, th- that's not the moral high ground. I mean, you should be ashamed, yeah. and we should say, oh, well, if AT and T is gonna, um, you know, have this uh, this this person who had an abortion and now advocates for it and celebrates it as one of their spokespeople in their commercials, then maybe um, I don't want to do business with AT&T anymore. Yeah. Right. I mean, you'd think there's always a claim that somebody has got the moral high ground. And it seems to me that it's, it's from it. It's from the culture of death side that the moral high ground has been claimed consistently for several generations now. And it's time for us to just decide we don't accept that. Yeah, I, I, I would say a lot of that has to go with the crisis of faith that we've experienced for the past several decades. Uh-huh. The, you know, the the same crisis of faith that led to, you know, the the, the sex abuse crisis, the, the same crisis of faith that led to poor catechesis, bad theology, bad scriptural scholarship, um, bad liturgical practices. I think all of that stems from a crisis of faith. And now we're asking, um, you know, for 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 a lot, we're asking spineless Catholics to have a spine. That's a tough. That's a tough place to be. But I think it, it begins with under, like you said, understanding that 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 we do have the moral high ground here, and have faith that yeah, we're we might we might suffer a little, but at the same time, like uh, uh, you know. Uh, we we stand on the side of of truth and what is right, you know. And I think that I think that goes to one of the the, the elements of of a of a worldview, and that's lifestyle. I mean, who 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 are we going to put? And this is again distinguishing the two cultures we're fight that that we one we belong to and the other we're fighting against, right? Who's at the center of that culture, right? For the for the Christian God, God comes first. Um, and our fidelity to him stands at the highest, uh, the highest act, the most noble act that we can, uh, that we can do. Um, whereas the, the, the culture of death, um, that lifestyle is solely centered on the, 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 the one making the decision. And that's why autonomy yeah. seems to be the highest virtue. Right. That's um, right. And, and so, I mean, I think that's one thing that, again, when we're, the, the, the Catholic needs to have in the back of their mind that when we're encountering this culture, um, I, ideas like sacrifice, 
ideas like putting God first or even others, um, like that, those are those are foreign concepts. Uh, and some of those are not just foreign concepts, but they're antithetical to uh, uh, to that understanding of yeah. At the center of my lifestyle is me and my decisions. Well, so this is why um, the, this is why this is why that decision um, is it really cuts right to the heart of the culture war. Um, not yeah. only because it it addresses abortion, which is sort of the sacrament of the of the secularists, but because yeah. one of the one of the things it takes aim at is is part of the reasoning behind Roe v. Wade in the first place, which is which is that uh, a way of thinking about liberty, right? So, so yeah. for in the Roe v. Wade decision and repeated in Casey, you know the idea of liberty is uh, you know the, there's this idea that at the heart of liberty is the ability to define for myself my you know what what the meaning of life is and what reality mm -hmm. is right and essentially basically this radical kind of autonomy um to define it for myself and then of course to act accordingly and um and they say no that's not the way liberty is traditionally understood uh at least not in the constitution of the united states and not in our culture and tradition yeah. but instead ordered liberty right the recovery of this idea of ordered liberty liberty right right um which does involve reference to some sort of objective standard of truth yeah. and reaching back further into the tradition you know you would say well the idea that human beings are not the authors of reality mm -hmm. but something beyond us is the author of reality right um, and that ultimately being responsible means being responsible to the truth of things and to the one, uh, the one who gives us the power to govern our lives. Yeah, the, the, the analogy I always use with this, uh, because I used to be a mechanic, is, you know, we have to, with regards to operating our cars, you have to cooperate with the one who designed it and built it. Yeah. Meaning that we, we, I can't say, you know what, uh, gas is really expensive. I'm going to just run my car on water. Uh, guess yeah. what? You will break the blasted thing uh, because it was not designed to run on water. And if you try to run it on anything else, you'll break it and it will be a, a heap of metal. Yeah. Right. Right. So, you decide, so, you know, I prefer diesel. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Go ahead. Yeah. Go. You're, yeah. You're going to break the thing or you know what? I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to put oil in it. You're going to break the thing. You have like, there has to be cooperation with the design. Now, uh, now if you live in a culture that completely rejects the designer, right. Yeah. You're going to have, you're going to have people, um, you know, uh, sitting in their, sitting in their broken down cars saying, look at how wonderful my car is. Look at how great it is. When in fact it, it can't do anything. It can't operate because you broke the damn thing. Analogy. So yeah. let me build on your analogy. I'll build on sure. your analogy. You ready? Okay. Right. So, because this is what I think we're doing. Where we do reject the designer, but we can't reject the designer. It's not actually yes. possible to do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so here's the thing. We work with other things that the designer has designed in, in order to construct technologies for modding the thing that we 
that we <laughs> like ourselves, right? Sure. So you're going to try to mod this contraption that you bought this machine. Yeah. And you don't like the way it was originally designed, but you don't control the, the, you don't control like the laws of physics. So you have to work within the laws of physics or something, right. Yeah. To, to mod that contraption that you just bought and build it into something it wasn't supposed to be. Yeah. But there are still restrictions. There are tolerances Mm-hmm. to the various components and when you try to mod it enough yes yeah. sooner or later it's gonna something's not gonna be able to withstand the strain of what you did to it sure you made it do something it wasn't supposed to do yeah right like we could give people hormones to make them appear as as, as a person of a different sex but there are tolerances right to the yeah. organism and if we push beyond them we're going to do real damage and it, right and 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 i and i think that the, the where we're at in our culture is, you know, while in the past we, we tolerated certain aspects of that, mm-hmm. um, you know, now, now we're having to celebrate them, which is, I mean, we, we would, ne- we would never, uh, you know, you would never have a race, uh, you know, a car show where none of the cars worked or, yeah, right. You know, the, the, the convertible section of the car show was nothing but hard tops that just had the, yeah. the top cut off of them, right? No, you're still a hard top. You just cut the top off. That doesn't make it a convertible. It makes it a hard top that you destroyed, right? So it's, you know, uh, uh, not, to, not to dwell too much on this analogy, but, but, but within all of these things, like you said, there's, there's those parameters that um, because of sin, because of this culture of death, we're we're and by denying god um we we push him out of the picture we're we're now accepting things that are just uh at the almost at the point of common sense we're saying hang on why wait like yes men can get pregnant now like that's the most ridiculous thing like we've we've gone just to the point of being nonsensical um and so you know when we and and this goes from, like you said, rejecting the creator, but at the same time, we can never escape it, you know? Uh, and, and I think that that aspect is where is where Christianity and Christians can enter, can genuinely, I think, enter into, um, I hate to use the word, but dialogue with people is to draw on those experiences because you can't escape. You can't escape the design of the human person. You can't escape certain uh, elements that God has built within us, Right. Um, and so what does the, the, you know, the culture of death do? Well, we just need to uh, deconstruct everything, right? And so, so the, the, the whole lifestyle within this is, is rejecting, is, a, is an attempt, I'll say that. The, the, the lifestyle aspect is an attempt to, to reject the design while still trying to operate within it, right? So you reject the that, that your car runs on, on gas, but you're still trying to operate your car. Uh, that's, that's never going to lead to a fully functioning car. That's not going it, to, it's just going to lead to a bunch of broken down vehicles uh, on the side of the road. Right. So th- this idea of, you know, again, living this completely self-centered life, even to the point where we're now, where some are just simply making the argument that it's okay to kill the, kill a child uh, uh, because of convenience. Yeah. Right. So, so, you know, by putting yourself at the center, by, by having the self as the center of this culture, you know, we, we hold up things like autonomy and we downplay things like sacrifice. Why should I, I don't have, I have no, 
an obligation to sacrifice anything for anybody, period. Yeah, that's right. Right. Uh, you know, which is distinctly just anti-Christian. Um, you yeah, know, and, it's, I, and it's I think I think it's, it's incompatible yeah. with the faith. Yeah. And where this leads also, the, so like a third aspect of um, of these two differing worldviews is eschatology. Right. Mm-hmm. We're dealing here with with two two totally different eschatologies or or how do we see the the the, the final end of man? You know, Christians obviously, you know, uh, um, uh, as the, the best way I've heard it, you know, is that, you know, in the end, you will either be a, 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 a tragedy in hell or a, a glorious triumph in heaven. You know, there's mm-hmm. nothing in the middle. Um, and so that's one worldview, whereas, you know, the, the, the eschatology of the, the culture of death is, you know, um, this is all you got. And you're the yeah, center right. of that. That's right. You know? That's right. You're the center of it. So if you don't make your life the life you want to live now, it's the only chance you yeah. get. And uh, and so it's you've lost. Yeah. Right. Um, whereas from a Christian perspective, right? Um, you kind of—I mean—you only have one chance, I guess. I'll admit that you only have one chance to sort of to get humanity right. Sure. But you don't only have one chance to be satisfied right um right so so the idea that um i mean i guess when you know you look at are you are you the center of reality for Mm -hmm. the sake of which all else can be sacrificed or are you oriented toward something else yeah. Right. Or Are someone you yourself else, right? a creature of sacrifice? Yeah. Um, for the sake of something that you that's of ultimate value. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it's you know. You know, it's almost it's almost like when you're trying to explain to your children, like you know, you're you're on your way to you know your child's never been to the zoo or your child's never been to a theme park or something. You know, you're you're asking them to wait to be patient. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know the fun and all the, the, the awesome stuff that's, that's going to come, but, you know, be patient, you know, wait for those things. Um, the, the long car ride, make a sacrifice of it, right. You know, that's difficult for the small child and, um, because they have, uh, uh little to no understanding of the reality of a theme park mm-hmm. or the reality of the zoo, you know, in, in a similar way, the, 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 People that live in the culture of death, they have no, they have no understanding of the the reality of of sacrifice, the the reality of uh, you know, as Christ says, you know, if you want to receive, you have to give. Uh, um, you know uh, that sacrifice can lead to happiness, even if it involves suffering. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't follow the logic of the culture of death. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, and I think that's, you know, again, just difficult for, for, for us to wrap our, our minds around uh, if, we're, if we're within this culture that, again, puts you at the center. Yeah, well, even if they make a compassion argument and they say, you know, there's the old argument mm. about how, like, well, the child's going to grow up in poverty or whatever, and he won't be happy. Yeah. And so, you know, what's the merciful response to lack of happiness is killing someone, right? Um, you deserve to die because you're unhappy. Um, yeah. 
and I get to make that decision. For, punishment for for unhappiness is death, right? I mean, it's a very very strange worldview when you think yeah. about it. And and the other thing I'd add to that as well is, um, and this this does go back to to Marx, um, is kind of the 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 view of everything through the economic lens, right? So this person is going to be poor. This child is going to grow up in poverty. That is not a, you know, okay, that's, you know, I guess, you know, economics is a part of life. So we can look at life through the lens of economics, but is it, can it be reduced to economic? Can the value of life be reduced to only economics? Well, no, I would reject that thesis. And obviously you would too, but, but you know, you could also ask a more practical question, which is, is death the only solution to this problem? <laughs> right. I mean, can't we come yeah. up with, we can all recognize that there's a problem, right. In abject poverty, yeah. there's a problem sure. in, in fatherless children. There's yeah. a, there are problems here, but is this the only way to solve them? Right. I think we could do better than this. And uh, yeah, I think we're we a little bit more creative. Energy, <laughs> if we put as much energy into trying to solve that particular problem as we put into trying to figure out, you know, how we can, how we can kind of escape um, biological sex. Mm-hmm. And I think we might've made some great strides here. Yeah. But, you know, what can I tell you? I, um, I think, I think ultimately, I don't know how to say it. Um, we're, Okay. Tomorrow's Mother's Day, 2022, right? As we record this. And, um, and supposedly there will be protests at various Catholic churches mm-hmm. with the intent of disrupting the mass. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that, I'm told, is that, um, you know, the Catholic advocacy for the pro-life position is sort of the major cultural threat that mm-hmm. lies behind this particular position. Um, you know, this, this decision in the Supreme Court, that, this, this, that ultimately if we won a victory, it was because of the Catholics. And you know what? Um, I'll accept that. I mean, let's say that yeah. that's, I don't know if it's 100% the whole yeah. truth. I don't think it is 100% the whole truth. But it's it's a part of it for sure right there's yeah. no question that catholicism has been the major driving the catholic institution catholic people have been the major driving uh force behind the pro life movement in the united states right they were the, yeah. mostly the organizers of the march for life and mm-hmm. all right so that's fine we're not the exclusive actors but without us there'd be a lot less um oh yeah power behind that movement so I'll, I'll accept that charge, but I want you to be honest about what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You want to disrupt the Catholic mass because you, because you love abortion, because you value abortion, but mm-hmm. that's your sacrament. So you'll disrupt ours, right? Yeah. That's what you're yeah. saying. And, yeah. I, and to go back to this charge of, of being diabolical, I think it's time to just accept that it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think for, for a lot of Catholics, they're, they're, 
the the line in the sand is being clarified. It's yeah. it's it's being drawn clearly. Um, there's no there's no kind of uh, um, balancing on the fence if there ever was one. There that 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 part is is quickly gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know I think it's time for you know again the only thing that's going to solve this is is fidelity, uh, fidelity to God, um, and what He's revealed. Um, mm-hmm. And that's going to involve suffering. That's going to involve a lot of things that we don't particularly care for or uh, seek out. Um, but at the same time, as Catholics, we have that worldview. Uh, we have that eschatological view of where, where it ends. It ends in glory. It ends with uh, being with God in communion in the most full way in heaven. Um, the middle part, though, is a little fuzzy, and that's where we need uh, uh, grace and virtue and all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Dr. Bruce Kelly, I think you've given our, our listeners a lot to think about, and I hope uh, I hope we've given our listeners kind of maybe a, a, a little deeper uh, view of what's going on um, to not just take it at face value or just simply, you know, look at it from a judicial uh, standpoint, but to, to see, uh, to, to look deeper into what's, what's going on uh, and to, to position ourselves uh, to, to fight against it effectively and courageously um, because this is where, uh, this is where God is, uh, I think, calling uh, Catholics to, to be, to, to stand on that side. Um, and but it's hard it's difficult and so that's why we need the church we need the sacraments we need the grace that god gives us um so i want to invite all our listeners uh thanks for listening and uh please like i said share this content with your uh, with your friends and family uh and uh check out all of our content over at catholicstudiesacademy.com in the meantime god bless